Welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode 11 featuring Jonathan Canlis. Uh, this episode is jam-packed with tons of inspirational stuff from Jonathan. Uh, we talk about why he shoots film. We talk about uh, family and what that uh, role plays in his work. Uh, we talk about the just vision, how the importance of um, finding your vision and how that separates you from all the other photographers out there. And we also talk about how he's kept his work uh, consistent for so many years and he's been able to avoid some of the uh, traps and um, trends and fads that you see in the wedding industry today. Uh, also, before we get started real quick, uh, it's February. Uh, just wanted to send out a couple reminders. Um, Musea Store uh, is obviously up and running, so if you're thinking about using um, the Musea Store for your online proofing needs, then um, please uh, send me a tweet or something, at um, mymusea. And uh, I'd love to set up a Skype session or a Google Hangout with you uh, just to answer any questions and help you kind of get set up and rolling uh, if you need that. Um, also, Project Water is still running. Uh, if you do not know what that is, please go to theprojectwater.com. Uh, spread the word. Uh, participate. Send me some pics. Uh, we really want to create an awesome book that we can uh, sell with 100% of the net profits going to water.org and Blood of Water Mission uh, just to save lives. So. We're super excited about it and want to get that going uh, even more than what it already is. So I think we're almost up to like a thousand pictures now. So um, I'm really excited. Anyway, enough of that. Let's uh, get this podcast going. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, Jonathan Canlis, thanks for uh, joining me on the show today. Excited to get this going. Yo, thanks for having me out. So first question, um, why are you a photographer? That is a good question. (laughs) Loaded question. Um, so I guess the simple answer, why I'm a photographer, it's, it's kind of how I express myself. Um, whether I'm getting paid or not, it's kind of just what I do. Um, I started, I guess with photography back in, I think it might've been 95 I was living in Japan and like, so this is like 1995. So this is like circa like those little flip up Kodak cameras, you know, that your mom buys you. Yeah. Like comes in, comes with nice two little rolls of Kodak film. Right. I'm pretty sure my mom got that at like Kmart, gave it to me. You know, I'm in, I'm living in Japan. I'm like serving like an LDS mission. So it's like, I was a missionary or whatever. So I'm not like doing this professional. I'm just dinking around. Like here's me at Mount Fuji Here's me with a sea of people with black hair that come up to my chest. Right. <laughs> anyway, so that said camera got wet, and a friend of mine lent me a, a Canon one with a 51.4. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started thinking around with that. I didn't really know what I was doing, obviously. So I shot on A, which is awesome, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and, you know, everything's coming back great because, like, of course, like, I'm shooting in really crap lighting situations. So I'm pushing the camera to its limits and like shooting 1.4, but not knowing what 1.4 means at all. Just knowing that I'm on A, which is awesome. So everything's fine. Then you go out in the middle of the day and it's like, looks like crap because everything is like F16 and I don't understand why. But that's kind of where I started. Came home, got a degree in Japanese and Asian studies, and then went back and did a BFA in photography. So we're talking like seven and a half years of undergrad. I'm a wow. doctor of nothing. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, photography's my life, man. Um, it's, it's how I choose to document um, 
what it is that I do. I'm not much of a writer. Um, I don't write things down. Don't read all that often. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for me, just documenting what I do is photography. That's the medium that I use. Yeah. So there's something about photography for you that kind of captures your imagination more than something like else that would be visual, like video or painting or something like that. Correct? Yeah, like uh, I can't paint. Uh, I used to be able to draw, but I mean, obviously I don't do it anymore. So um, it, for me, it's just a really easy way to take what it is that I want to say and like even take situations that aren't actually real and be able to say what it is that I want to say. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after you kind of went to the, the BFA thing, college, at what point in your career did you decide, like, hey, I want to do this for money and start a business? Oh, man, that was pretty early on. So my first, uh, like, paid wedding was in the summer of 1999. Uh, it'll never see the light of day because <laughs> they charge, like, $400 as all-day coverage, whatever that even means. Um Back then, I don't know. I think I just left the middle of the reception. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I'm done. I just left. <laughs> anyway, like, developed, like, the local Walgreens, handed them over a stack of prints inside, like, the Walgreens packets with negatives. So that wedding doesn't even exist. I don't even know where it is. I know how to contact them, but I'm probably not going to. So, um, you know, I've been, I started shooting weddings in college. Like, I was already pretty well established in Utah by the time I had graduated, which was 2004. So, um, it just kind of happened naturally. I never really like woke up one day and said, yo, I want to be a wedding photographer. I was actually really actually kind of embarrassed that I was doing weddings because while I was in college, you know, what I wanted to do was like editorial portraiture. I loved music. I loved bands. I was going to shows like nightly three, four times a week, shooting any band that was coming through and, you know, that was kind of the road that I thought I was going to have to go on, like go do an internship in New York or L.A. with whoever I wanted to kind of emulate and then go from there. But met my wife, got married, um, and kind of got buried neck deep in weddings without really having a plan on or an idea of what I was doing. Um, don't get me wrong, wed- weddings have been really great to me, but it was nothing I really ever like said, man, like, I love brides. I want to shoot. <laughs> yeah that seems that seems to be kind of a common story for a lot of people that are like i want to be this super new york shooter la magazine guy and then you know getting asked by the mom if you've got a picture of the cake before they cut it because lo and behold of course you're a photographer and a wedding photographer and you didn't know that there was a wedding cake yeah I mean, so what is it about weddings for you that's kept you going and not, like, abandoning them and going on to something else? Um, The fact that I realized that regardless of it being, like, you know, a paid professional gig, I approach it like I approach anything. Like, it's personal work to me. Like, I know there's, like, the safe list that I need to do, like, the expectations of what, quote-unquote, the bride and groom think wedding photography is. You know, because I guess you kind of have to define it. Like, what is it? It's a couple, like, there's the iconic shot of the bride and groom, the family formal, 
couple sh- you know what I mean like what does what all does wedding photography entail right yeah and you know I, I I can perform I've been doing this for what is it almost 13 years now so it's very formulaic for me but at the same time like after getting what I know that I need to get I can just do what I want to do and keep my voice and not get muffled and still have it be me as opposed to just, okay, well, I'm just going to go take some wedding photos, right? Yeah. It's wedding yeah. photos, but it's my my spin on it. Like, my voice is not lost in there whatsoever. And I think that's how I've been kind of successful at what I've done is that I haven't really compromised or, you know, stuck with trends or, like, jumped on certain bandwagons. I just do what I do, pretty straightforward on a photography, and it, it just kind of works. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the questions I was going to talk to you about was your consistent, your just your consistency in your work over as long as I've known you and seen your work, which is probably goes back to I don't know 2005, 2006 ish range on some forums and just the internet and stuff. Um, how have you kept yourself from? not getting in, sucked into the trends. I mean, like, so many wedding photographers just get sucked into the vortex, you know? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with not giving a crap what anybody else is doing, <laughs> to be completely honest, you know? Like, I don't know. I've, I've always tried to stay away from anything that's, like... Like, I'm not... Everything that I do with my business is because it's something I want to do and not because, oh, you know, this is the cool thing to do right now, so I'm going to start doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, there have been a ton of fads that have come and gone, and that's fine. I just I just know that I always knew from the get-go that I always wanted to do pretty straightforward, honest photography because it doesn't, it doesn't go out of style. Like, no matter what you do, like, as long as it's, straightforward there's no gimmicks to it there's no crutches and it's just an image that's dealing with the subject and you can actually find like have a voice but more importantly have that voice communicate to the viewer what it is that you want to say those images i think will stand on their own you don't need crutches you don't need p yellow skies or reverse vignettes and whatnot <laughs> oh reverse vignettes <laughs> I love those. That's, just that's kidding. Not when I first started, like I think there was a there was a time period where I was like, you know, I'm gonna try this like spot center filter, which was horrible. It was like focused in the middle and like on the outside was like I think a grade two like glossy and blur. And like nothing you shoot is in the middle of your frame. So like it was just a bad idea from the get-go. But <laughs> anyway. They didn't pay attention to the rule of thirds, I guess, so that's when they made that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, since we're talking about kind of vision and style, what is your advice for developing your own style or even brand? Because, you know, obviously we all are in a quote-unquote oversaturated market. So creating something that's unique that stands out okay. is important. So how do you do that? So two-part. Let's talk about the vision part first, and then we'll get on the brand. Um, vision, in my personal opinion, there is no way in hell you are going to find your vision by just shooting paid gigs. 
specifically weddings. You're not going to be like, you're not going to, I mean, you'll be able to develop a style because, but I, I think style and, and voice and vision are completely separate. All right. Um, I don't think I found my quote unquote voice until 2008. So we're talking what, like nine years of just wandering. Like not, not that I didn't know what I was doing, but like 2008 became very clear to me what it is that I want to say and how it's going to apply to whatever shoot you throw at me. If I shoot a wedding, if I shoot commercial gigs, if I shoot personally, it's not going to look any different whatsoever. I'm the biggest example of that. I shot the biggest gig of my career last year, right around this time. I got hired by this company in Kauai to go shoot like their private club for members, kind of where they sell land, starts at like $4.5 million or whatever. Anyway, seven days of shooting, right, in Hawaii, which in my opinion is my dream job. I love Hawaii. Um, and somebody paid me to go shoot that. Then literally two months later, I took my wife and three oldest kids to Hawaii and I basically shot 50 or 60 rolls of film on my family vacation, wow. right? Unpaid. It's just what, like I said, it's what I do. If I'm going on family vacation, I'm gonna shoot. Like, uh, I'm a firm believer of that. And the best thing is, is that those two bodies of work if I put them up side by side, they look exactly the same. Just one I got paid out the lawsuits for and one was just for fun. Yeah. So yeah. the only way you're gonna develop your voice is to be out there like hitting the pavement, shooting, shooting constantly, at least, at least once a week, at least once a week shooting for yourself. I probably shoot twice a week for myself in the fact that no matter what, Monday through Sunday, I'm gonna shoot something of my kids or my wife. Um, and then another day where it's like planned, deliberate, okay, today I'm gonna work on form and function. Like that's all I care about. I only care about what's in my frame. I don't care what I shoot, but it needs to be about form and function, right? Or I'm gonna like do a personal project and just choose what it is. Because that's where your voice is gonna, that's where it's gonna come from. And the thing that I've learned is that, you know, I've traveled all over for like weddings, workshops, whatever, right? And like I've shot all these amazing places that I never really would have gone had I not been hired to shoot there. But I've just really realized that I could have found that said voice where I live. Like it, I think your voice is an extension of who you are as a person, has a lot to do with your environment like where you live, what you believe, what you don't believe. And me having lived in, I live in a town called Lehigh. It's like 20 minutes south of Salt Lake. Been here for seven years now. And I think it's a huge part of kind of who I am as a person, even though it is a small superpotent town. It's where Footloose was filmed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't dance or do any of that Footloose crap. But anyway, what I'm saying is like, you don't need to travel outside of where you live to start working on your vision. It's there. You just have to find it. Yeah. Right. And so secondly, when you, that, that's the vision part of it. You need to hit the payment. You got to, you got to get out there and do the hard work. It's not going to just come and I guarantee you, it's not going to be found by going to anyone's workshop, buying anybody's book or any other thing that somebody promises you. It all comes from hard work, hard work. Oh yeah. And more hard work. <laughs> right. As far as the brand goes, um, the biggest suggestion I would have is stay clear of templates. 
and or you know hiring a friend that does design if this is your business and your your sole income i think you need to invest in it and you know if you're a photographer and you're charging you know four or five thousand dollars for a wedding package i don't see why you would gawk at someone charging you eight nine ten to brand you that's going to bring in you know x amount of weddings right hire a designer hire a design firm that will for the probably first month not really design anything they're going to interview and find out what you are as a person find out what this voice is and then create a brand around it um i learned that the hard way um with my designer his name is cole nielsen he's gone on to be like the designer at johnson and johnson but I think for the first couple weeks, he wasn't even designing anything. And I was super pissed because I'm like, dude, I'm paying you all this money. Like, what's the point? He's like, well, I'm trying to figure out, you know, your voice and what, it, like, the mission of your company. Like, what is it that you want to accomplish? Because once I understand that, I know what fonts will work with you. I know what colors work with you. I know what kind of, like, design direction, right? So I, I think branding is... It's huge. It's it's very very big. It can't be something you just you know, let's let's choose papyrus because that's a great font. <laughs> yeah. And for anybody listening, using papyrus, please delete it now because it's a horrible font. <laughs> or Comic Sans, just go. <laughs> yeah. That's a great one. That's a good one. Um, there's something kind of interesting there you were talking about is this importance of voice, but then trying to build a brand around it. It's almost like the chicken and the egg. I mean, how do you build a brand around something if you haven't found your voice yet, in a way? So how do you, how do you, if it took you nine years, I mean, what is your advice to a photographer starting out? Well, so here's the thing, you gotta realize, you know, I started in 99, right? And kind of, got super, super busy around 2004, 2005. Um, and I think I made a lot of mistakes because there wasn't this wonderful thing called the internet, right? Where I could, you know, gain access pretty much immediately to all kinds of social media and or inspiration, right? You're pretty much limited to the dude down the street who was doing worse glossy and blurs than I was. <laughs> Right. So, you know, like I said, it took me whatever eight years to do. But I think today in this day and age, it's coming a lot quicker to people. Um, just like, for example, so I just did a workshop in Canberra, Australia. And there were a couple attendees there that are like freaking 19, 18 years old that, you know, there's a girl named Annette Wilson who I've seen her first wedding blew me away. It's ridiculous, like, the just the clear voice and, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it has to do with just people having a lot more access to other, other inspirations and kind of, you know, jumping off other people's shoulders. But I think finding that voice um, is a lot easier to do now because there's a lot more access to inspiration, right? I've, I, you know, I've had a handful of assistants over the years that I know that didn't take them eight years to get to where they're at, you know, maybe a year, some of them, just, you know, six, seven months. So it, it, again, it all just comes into how bad you really want it, you know, like no matter how cool or how fun 
being a photographer is this is a job, yo. You got treated as a business and you have to treat it as a talent. And the fact that, you know, if you don't work on that talent, it's going to go away. Yeah. Um, switch gears a little bit to, uh, I guess, film. And what's that? And then we'll get into some of your work a little what's bit more film? specifically. I don't know. This, this <laughs> thing. I heard it's like dying. I don't know. It's dead, dude. Chapter 11. Um, so, yeah, okay. why, why you shoot film and not you didn't switch to digital and you, you stayed consistent? Um, so I started out in film, 1999. I don't think there was. I mean, there might have been digital. There was like the, the Nikon Coolpix 990 or something stupid like that, which was like this. I don't know if you have you ever seen that camera. You like twist it in half, and there was a lens on the front. I think so. And <laughs> Um, I've attempted to convert it digitally three times. First, when the D100, I had a D100 D1X, I think is what it was. Then I got the D70. And then the last one I tried was the D300. All of them, obviously, not full frame. But um, I just, man, like, it'd kill me. Like, you know, I, I know what I could get with film. And I go off and start shooting digitally and, like, had to sit there and, like, work to make these images look like my film stuff it just wasn't worth the time and or effort and plus there were a lot of these inconsistencies especially with skin tones uh depth of field what's in folk like and the, the harshness of like i guess it's pixels versus grain right we're talking circles versus squares there's nothing wrong with digital whatsoever let me let me just say that right now anybody who's listening i have no qualms with digital um i think i actually am a digital person and the fact that everything is captures analog but after i get it developed everything post-production is all digital i'm never really in a dark room printing from negatives i'm dealing with files right so it's kind of the best of both worlds um why, why do i shoot film number one i think it's the look of it no questions asked like i, I cannot reproduce that look digitally without spending hours upon hours or having used some action that anybody else can use. So now, you know, it has kind of its own unique look. And number two is, I mean, yo, I got six kids and a wife. I, I don't, I don't want to spend, you know, 40 hours, let alone five hours in front of a computer trying to edit a wedding. Like, I think if that was the case, like, if I had to come home after a long day, download an event and start culling, start looking at an event that I just got, I'm done and I'm tired, I'd hate that event. No questions asked. <laughs> like, I'm done. I don't want to see these people for a long time. <laughs> so it's kind of nice, right? Like, I'll come home from a wedding, bags in the corner, right? On Monday morning, going to work, put it all in a bag, send it off to the lab. Don't have to think about it for a month. And I get it back, and it takes me tops three hours to edit a wedding from Richard Photo Lab. So, and, that, and like when I say edit, I mean like download it, call it, put it online, archive it, done. That's nice. Damn right. One, <laughs> you on your blog I was reading today. Um, one of the things you talked about was why you shoot film was the, the slowing down of everything for you and how it forces you to do that. Talk, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Well, let's talk about the other things that other people have asked me about. Oh, first. 
someone's like, so I understand, like, I know why you shoot film. Like it's a marketing ploy right. or, you know, it's trendy or whatever. Bullshit, dude, whatever. Sorry. If you edit that, I'm not supposed to swear. That's fine. Um, <laughs> don't edit. It doesn't matter. Um, it's not, it's not a marketing ploy. It's not some kind of gimmick, man. It's, you know, I'm going to attribute a handful of my success because I do shoot film. My images look different from everybody else's stuff. You know what I mean? And it does force you to slow down, dude. You have to know your crap. Like I'm not like the last thing I'm ever doing when I show up to a shoot is thinking about the technical side of things ever. Cause I know my crap. Cause I go out and shoot personal work. I know when I go outside on 400 ISO and it's sunny outside backlit, it's F2 at 2000 just is. Just is. I know when we're outside, like I'm at a low light situation in in a reception. If I'm shooting Ilford 3200, I'm anywhere from one thirtieth of a second to one twenty fifth, depending on the lighting situation. Like, film has forced me to be super geek about the technical side of things, but I'm really grateful for it because when I show up, I can just create. I'm not ever thinking or sweating. Like, dude, did I get it? Like, oh man, is that? Is that going to work? Well, no, it worked. I took one photo. It's done. Let's move on. And like, I don't mean to sound cocky about it, but it makes you, it forces you to know your craft. And I think that's one of the things I love about film because, you know, there's, any, there, there's no barrier of letting people come in and be quote unquote photographers, let alone wedding photographers. You know, um, there is a barrier with film because you can't chimp. You have to know your crap. Like, you can't just start showing up and be like, oh, I'm going to do whatever. You know, I mean, I guess you could use your digital camera as a light meter, but it's not going to be the same because you got to overexpose. You can't expose film the same way you expose digital. So, yeah. Um, kind of the slowing down thing, kind of continuing that, is just talking about when you're at an event and you're shooting, <clears throat> obviously, like, every time you press the shutter, A, it's costing you money. Yeah. And so it forces you to you're already editing as you're shooting versus digital, which is like the machine gun approach of like I'm just gonna shoot everything and then edit it later. How how does that Yeah, that so like for example, I mean I know a handful of digital shooters that have that don't shoot spray and pray. There's that not you can't like just universally put everyone in that group. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I will say, like, when I do have, like, you know, every once in a while I'll pick up a camera. Like, I bought my wife an X100. I bought it for me, but I was like, no, I'm not touching that because I know what's going to happen. So I gave it to her. But, like, the second I start picking it up, I go from that strict mind frame of discipline of, like, okay, take one picture and move on to, like, click, 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 click. You know, I'm just popping them off, not thinking. And I don't like that. I like the discipline that comes with it. Um my most recent wedding I shot on New Year's Eve, it was 11 hours of coverage. And I counted it before I even called anything. It was like 725 images. And I delivered to the client 512. Wow. So if that, if that doesn't tell you, like, slow down, make sure everything's good, I, I got nothing. Yeah. I, I would think on a certain level it, especially at a wedding, there's so much stuff going on that it's going to force you to only capture the moments, I think, that are more, I guess, arresting or something visually. 
versus um, I think somehow digital, I think sometimes you can, and I'm actually switching back to film, but sometimes digitally, when I've been shooting digitally the past five years, it's, um, you're kind of like, oh, that, that moment's kind of good enough kind of a thing. And so you, it plays into the, like, you just keep, keep, keep on shooting. Right, right. Um, and so you're more, I think you're just more invested in the day of the event. Does that make sense? Because you're not worried about the back of your camera. Like, you can you can lock in more with your your subjects, and you don't miss maybe some of the moments that you would have otherwise. I, I still think I miss stuff. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. I'm not, I'm not perfect in any way. And plus, I'm a one-man show. So for sure, I'm missing stuff. But, um, like, when I do hit that shutter, I'm making sure it counts. Like, it's that moment right then and there. And, like, when I'm taking photos at a wedding, it literally, like, I'll, like if I come up to a scene and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a detail of this, or I'm going to do a portrait of somebody, it's one click, and I move on. And, like, I don't know if that's just a confidence thing or just knowing that I, like, knowing from experience, like, being able to look in my frame and my viewfinder. Like, if you stand just to the right of me as I'm shooting, you watch my eyes as I'm looking through the viewfinder. I'm never really looking at the subject. My eyes are always, like, moving on the outside. It's, like, making sure my backgrounds are staying clean. Um, and, like, if it's dealing with a subject, you know, I'm counting off, like, making sure they're not blinking. Like, people are always like, so how do you not get blinkers? I'm like, you watch. So you just train yourself. Now, with larger groups, obviously, it's a little bit different. But still, like, when I do, like, the big shot of the bride's family tops it's like four photos tops yeah. and, then I, and i know i'm going to delete it down to just one because that's all i need is just one um there's a photographer here in nashville he shoots film his name's evan baines and um because i asked yesterday on twitter if anybody had any questions for you and so he responded and one of the things that he wanted to know from you was uh he asked how do you balance the content of your images with the medium of film. So he goes on to say, like, I can relate to his enjoyment and appreciation of film, but when does like gear and technique begin to overshadow? You know, at what point does an emphasis on film or any other technical aspect begin to detract from an emphasis on content or pure aesthetic? I don't, I don't know that it does. Like my clients aren't coming to me to like, Oh man, you shoot film. We're hiring you. My clients are coming to me with this preface of, something different about your work we like it you know you were referred by whoever let's talk and then once we get through that interview process i'm like you know you said that my stuff looks different just to let you know it's shot on all on film which is why i think it does look different it's what you're looking at like it's just and it's medium format right so it's going to look different from 35 millimeter in the depth of field or just i think the clarity as well right mm -hmm. so i don't know that Film is going to, I guess, I don't know, hinder like what, what's going on in the photo. It's not going to be a deterrence from my image. It's, it's what makes my image. Like, like I was saying, that whole gig that I shot in Hawaii for seven days, that was all on film. That was eight, 89 rolls of 220. And like the final product, the printed version of this pamphlet that they send out to all their clients, I don't, I mean, I could tell it was film. Now, is the viewer going to be able to tell it's film? No, but I think it has a specific look that that they're not really probably used to. It's not over-processed. It's pretty straightforward. You know? I, th I think it, it's not going to deter from the image or anything like that. I think it's going to help. 
I mean, as long as that, as long as that's your voice, you know. Now, if you're throwing like, if you're shooting like Type 55 or a specific kind of like Type 55 Polaroid, sorry, or like you know Fuji FP3000B, which has this very specific film kind of look, yeah, that might overpower the subject. But just straightforward color negative film or black and white film, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do anything unless obviously that film has an inherent characteristic like high speed black and white, which is super grainy. Or like you're using red filters to get ultra contrast. Yeah. No. Getting into your work a little bit, there's like three things that I see in your work that are very consistent. The first one I think that the biggest one is is a very big emphasis on family and like relationships. So talk about that role, how how the role of family is is kind of seen in your work and what role that plays. It's awesome that you see that because that's, I think, the underlining thing in all of my work. I think my work is pretty much a reflection of who I am. Like, I'm a dad of six kids, eight and under, right? So everything about my work is very um, PG. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean, right? Yeah. I just think dark, mean, or malicious. I don't do, like, I don't do nudes. There's anything wrong with people do nudes. If you don't do nudes, that's fine. But I don't want to be that dad that has to explain to my son Hey, Dad, we're taking pictures of boobs. It's not. It's not. It's not what I want to do. Like I, I, I love family, I, and I stress that a lot at my weddings. Um, I know a lot of. Cl- I've had a handful of clients say, you know, no matter what, we don't want family formals, and I fight them tooth and nail that we're gonna do family formals because I know everyone already has this preconception that you know family formals it's gonna blow. This sucks. This photographer is lame, and I kind of turn it on them. And I, you know, I make it quick, I make it painless, and I make it fun. And now they're in my hands. Like, they totally trust me because, you know, I'm doing a lot of directing, right? So, I don't know. I, you know, I talked about my voice and my vision didn't find it till 2008. And that voice, what I think I figured out was what it is that I do. I photograph light in people. I think everyone has light in them, regardless of who you are. I've never met anyone who didn't have it in them. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And that's what I try and put throughout all of my work. And I think a lot of light is found in families, like the family unit. Like that's where kind of life springs from, right? I mean, regardless of what kind of family you have, whether you have a broken home or no totally normal home, like um, I'm going to put it in its best light. I'm going to definitely celebrate family because it's, it's kind of what I'm all about. And that's rad that that's what you found. Yeah. That's exactly what you Because it, it, what's interesting to me, especially in the wedding portrait industry, I mean, we're in an industry, a lot of people were in this industry of, I don't get a sense from the photographers that they're really, they really care about family necessarily. They care more about the style of their work, some new technique they're trying to learn trying to make it look like a fashion ad or something, which is fine. But um, I don't see very many photographers for being a, a family-based business, like a wedding is a family event. I don't see many photographers like that truly, genuinely care about the family unit. You know, and I, I think they're out there, but I think in your work it comes across clearer than m- most of the photographers out there. But it's true. I mean, you ask anyone, like, hey, are you looking forward to shooting family formals? And they're all going to look at you like, no, are you kidding me? It's the worst part of the day. I'm going to put my head down and, you know, rush through it. But 
I think some of the best work I've done are like portraits or family portraits at weddings. Like, I mean, is that the whole day? No, of course not. But um, it it's it's this 20 minute gap, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how much time you have with the client, sometimes only 10. But you've got to prove to the world who anyone else sees these images, these people love each other, whether they do or not, because that's your job, right? Because your job is to tell the best story of the day, not the actual reality. Because if we were all showing reality, even those weddings would never get published. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> real, you know, like they're, they're weddings that are, you know, poke your eyes out boring. But it's your job as a professional to make it look like it fell out of a magazine, right? And you, you have to approach it as such. And like, I, you know, it's one of the big things that I teach at my workshop is not to rush through those because it will benefit, like, you got to put yourself in their shoes. Because think about what's the, what's the iconic image from the wedding? We're talking, you know, the, the picture of the bride and groom, right? And then there's the family pic. Right. And if ever, if all these photographers, the industry is just kind of blowing through that, not caring about it, you're going to have a big, huge portfolio of crap. That's not to say that, you know, there are people that aren't doing really good stuff, but I, I wish and I'm really trying to help um, put a more stress on that and not rush through it because it will benefit them and it will benefit you in print sales. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing. I see in your work that's extremely obvious is just your sense of awareness when it comes to composition, how you frame things. It's kind of ludicrous. Like <laughs> there, there's a, there's a post like that, that let, let's just go back to that uh, personal work that I shot in Hawaii, my family, where I shot like 60 rolls of 120. Like as I was making the diptychs, like I have specific, you know, because I, I see the world vertically, right? And if I, I'd say 95% of my shots are vertical, and and not, almost all of my work is six, four, five. So I'm I'm working in this frame constantly, all the time, and I just know where things go. Like I'll get back scans, and I can go from one image to the next, and people's eyes are the exact same place, <laughs> without like I don't have a grid on my you know ground glass or anything. I just in my mind, I have specific places where things fall. And I think a lot of that has to do with the personal work that I shoot because I shoot so much. Like when I put the camera to my face, in my opinion, I think I only have like one or two different options of how to compose things because I'm so used to how I shoot, right? Now, is that to a detriment to my work? Maybe because I can't, like I'm so anal about everything in my frame has to be there for a purpose. I'm I'm really bad at shooting loose. I'm really bad at doing photojournalism because it's on the fly and things will be in the image that are just bothering the crap out of me and I won't shoot it even though this amazing moment's coming happening over here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it it's a double-edged sword. It's great because, I, I mean, I know my composition. I know exactly, like, I, I know what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll, I'll not shoot things because I'm super anal about backgrounds or whatnot have you yeah the third thing i think it ties in a little bit to comp composition i guess but the third thing i think that i feel it's just consistent in everything you do every shot is um there's a kind of an emphasis on detail a little bit even in your portraits it's like you almost hone in on a lot of ways on the detail of somebody i mean you have some like full full body shots obviously and some stuff that's kind of backed off but 
there's like this a very there's a, a level of like intimacy where you're kind of like right in their face and oftentimes you'll even have their faces out of focus but like in focus will be maybe it's a piece of jewelry or a tattoo or you're you're strong at like picking out a small element that represents like who they are as a whole Does yeah that make sense yeah um, i mean no go ahead yeah I just say just yeah just talk about that and what you're looking for when you're shooting like those details and why that's important so um really early on in my career i saw an exhibit by chuck close in london not sure if you're familiar with who chuck close is yeah, yeah. Um, painter photographer he does daguerreotypes now which are freaking mind-blowing but um i saw this exhibit and there were these prints that were like 15 feet tall by like you know 10 feet wide and they're all paper mache but like he was shooting on this pentax six seven he'd take the photo enlarge it grid it out and then like take paper or toilet paper and shade it to that whatever that square is and then make this huge montage and like his work coupled with um, Richard Avedon and um, Steve McCurry totally influenced like my tight headshots. Like I've been I've been doing that since the get go. Like the first assignment I ever had in a photo class, the first thing I shot was tight headshots of somebody. Um, I've always been drawn to like really nice like limited depth of field where it's dealing with the face, and like you know I'm I'm using the normal lens. Like on a Nikon, like on a 35 millimeters, like a 51.4, or on the contacts, like the 80 f2 lens. So I'm like up in your grill, and and you can see me on video right now. I'm not a small guy, so like when this comes kind of in your comfort zone. They have to let their guard down, kind of. It's not can like pretend. Oh, he's not there. No big deal. I'll just look at the camera. No, you've got this 300 pound gorilla looking at you, like. Give me what I need, you know, and really quick, like I'm pretty fast and efficient. I think there's a lot to be said in a portrait when someone's not smiling at you. Like, I don't want the smile. Don't smile at me. Just look at me straight face. Give me a straight face. And once that's, they get into that moment, there's something that's undeniable truth about who they are as a person in that face. And I love documenting that. Like, you'll see a lot of my photos. Like, they're not smiling. It's just total straight face. And I, I like what I see. Like, I think one of the favorite pictures I've ever taken, like that, my wife's uncle, he was at a wedding, my sister-in-law's wedding, which obviously I shot because I'm the family guy, you know? <laughs> but uh, he's a joker. Like, he's this farmer guy. They live down in Paraguna. It's, like, a couple hours south of me. But they're farmers, you know? They salt the earth. You know, their hands are leathery. And he's a joker. That guy is constantly, he is on. And like, what I did was I put the camera up to my face. I was like, hold on, let me just fix something. And I pretend I was like messing with my camera and his guard dropped and he just like looked down and this portrait of him, you, you can see all the hard work and stress and pain that they've kind of gone through that he wasn't gonna just give me by standing there like, you know, being crazy and making all these jokes. I'll send you the link to it, because yeah. I, I freaking love this portrait, it's amazing. Yeah, I'd love to put that up for the, the when I do the podcast on the blog, that'd be amazing. Um, one of the other things I think I'm interested about you as a photographer is that I don't see a lot of other photographers doing, 
is you haven't just photographed the celebrations in life. You've done a lot of photographs of kind of really sad moments or even funerals and things like that. How how's the courage to go into those places and shoot that influenced you just as a photographer and you even even influenced like your wedding work on the more positive note of things? I don't think it's influenced my wedding work any. Um, I think weddings has prepared me to pretty much shoot anything, right? So, you know, I shoot weddings, shoot families, shoot commercial work. On the other spectrum, I shoot births, which kind of stemmed from me shooting our own births, right? And people seeing that now, I probably shoot six a year, just people locally here. Um, and I, I've shot two funerals. It's not anything I like search out for work-wise. I don't want to be a funeral photographer. Because <laughs> uh, it, it is painful, man. It's not, but this is this is the point, is that life is going to come at you no matter what, right? And you're a photographer, I'm a photographer. Say someone close to you dies. Are you going to put the camera down? I'm not going to. Like, that was, so the first funeral I shot was for a dear friend of mine named Natalie Norton. Her son uh, contracted pertussis, which is whooping cough. And my youngest, not well, my second youngest son, Weston, has a heart condition. He was born without a pulmonary valve. He's since had open heart surgery or whatever, but he was always up at Primary Children's in Salt Lake because he'd have like RSV because his arteries would put pressure on his lungs. Long story short, we're in the hospital at the same time. Like she's like a couple rooms down from us. And this lady lives in Hawaii and she's like visiting family in Utah. And the day we went home was the day her son passed away. Mm. So you know, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with her. She came to my first workshop in Hawaii. And uh, I thought about it. I was like, you know, I could, I could send you flowers. I could send you a card that you'll throw away or put in a box and never looked at. Or I could offer you what it is that I do, which I think will live on its own indefinitely. So I hopped on a plane and I went and I shot a funeral for this eight-week-old baby. And uh, it was seriously, the, it was hard, dude. The whole time, like I, I, so you know, I had that long flight. It's like six, six and a half hours from Salt Lake to, to Hawaii. But I was watching uh, James Neckway's War Photographer. So I was like, you know, this guy, he does stuff like this. Well, what am I gonna do? I'm like, how am I gonna approach this? Like, you know, tons of triax, black and white, totally hands off, complete opposite of what I normally do because I interject myself quite a bit. And about halfway through the plane ride, I was like, what am I doing? Why in the world would I approach this any different than I do everything else that I do? Just because this is a funeral or, you know, quote unquote, this is a sad moment. It's like, no, dude, I'm gonna do this the exact same way I do everything else. I'm gonna focus on family. I'm gonna focus on the happy things. Now, if a sad moment presents itself to me, I'm gonna shoot it, of course, you know? Um, I'll send you a link to that video too, if you wanna put that up, you can. Yeah, that was I've seen it, it's powerful stuff. It, it, it's seriously the, the most meaningful body of work I've ever shot. And, you know, I was there for two and a half days. Hmm. And I shot the whole time. Like, the, the day before, like, a lot of the details that you see, it's just me going around the island shooting places that I know were important to them, like their house, because they weren't staying at their house. They live in a pretty small town. So they stayed in a hotel on the other side of the island, like, shot their house with, like, all the court cards on the door. I went to the site where they were going to bury her son because her son was named after her brother who had passed away a couple years before that and so like the baby was buried 
on the same plot as the brother. Like there already was a, a name stone there for this Gavin Norton, right? Which was the brother who he was named after. So anyway, I don't know. I mean, I never, it, it, I think all of my work has kind of come just from, you know, what it is that I do with weddings. Like I never, look, I never sought out commercial clients. They all just came to me because they liked what I was doing with weddings my approach to it. And when I say my approach, like my voice, like what it is that I do, whether you pay me or not, I'm just applying what it is that I do to that type of photography, weddings, commercial. If now it's a funeral, fine. Birthdays, you bought mitzvahs, you name it. <laughs> so it's going to, it's going to be all the same, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I want the consistent, I've worked way too hard to, for too long to not, to just think, you know, okay, well, it's this kind of photography, so I'm going to change what it is that I do. No, that's what they hire you for. They hire you for your voice. Like, I remember my first commercial gig, I showed up with, like, 70 pounds of gear, like, all these lights and all this stuff, and I started setting it up. I was like, what am I doing? This isn't what you hired me for. I just assumed, like, it's commercials. It's got to be heavily lit, all this stuff. You know, it's not to say I didn't use lights. I used them, but, like, I kept to my voice. I stayed true to what it is that I do and what they hired me for, not what I, this preconception that I have in my head because that's what everybody else is doing, right? Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see that other photographers work or just their businesses what, that they're making out there? Number one is not charging enough, not charging accordingly. And the only, I'll tell you right now, the only way you're going to know if you're charging accordingly is knowing your hourly rate. If you know your hourly rate, everything else from your business will just fall into place. And the only way you're going to know your hourly rate is to full-on get a spreadsheet, plug in all of your expenses. And I'm not saying just like your business expenses. Like how much does it cost for you to live as a person? Okay, now you know that. How much does it cost for you to run your business a month? Okay, now you know that. So now you know the bare minimum you need to make a month. Okay, so that's bare minimum. Now let's talk about taxes. What tax bracket are you going to be in, right? The next thing you need to know about is, okay, so now we know what tax bracket I'm going to be in. How much money do I want to make? Because after you've done all this, you've got nothing at the end of the day. Get a job at McDonald's, you know? Like, what's all this time and effort for? Yeah, it's great you can travel over these places, but this is a job, people. you got to treat it as such. You know, like, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people just looking at other people's stuff, other people's pricing. Oh, well, that's what they charge, so I'll do that. And you have no idea what anybody else's overhead is or what kind of deals and or discounts they're getting from XX vendor or whoever's friend, buddy of a friend or, you know, something like that. And I, so that that's the number one thing I, I see. I think number two is caring about what everybody else does, you know. Um, I refuse to look at wedding blogs because that's not where I'm going to get my inspiration. Nah, I lie. There's one person I look at. His name's Ozzy Garcia. He's a photographer out in Miami. Um, and I look at his work because it's, it's very, uh, it's not wedding-esque to me. There's a, there's an underlying commercial look to it and like there's a clear vision and his work blows my mind to be honest. But if I give anyone that's listening right now the biggest piece of advice, open up your Google Reader, 
start scrolling through and delete anyone that has anything to do with your industry that you're shooting in. Because it will only lead to you comparing yourself, getting down on yourself. And the last thing you want is to show up on a shoot and be like, oh yeah, okay, let's start shooting. Oh dude, what'd that guy do? I saw this on a blog, let's do that. Why the heck would you want to do what somebody else did? They didn't hire you for that, they hired you for you. I don't want to muddy my vision or my, my creative thought. So unplug, dude. Stop looking at other people's crap. Don't give a crap what they're doing. I mean, obviously you need to stay kind of afloat as to what's going on in your industry. Don't, don't be naive, but at the same time, don't, don't look at other people's work. It's, it's rubbish anyway. <laughs> um, real quick, I want to talk about obviously your workshops because um, they've uh, that whole thing has grown. I mean, it, I think I was, I think I followed you a little bit even when you had for like your first or second one. It was like in Hawaii or whatever, you know. And um, how how was? Well, I guess why did you start it? And then what it? Um, I guess why have you continued to kind of? I guess even give them, you know. Um, it's just another workshop in the workshop world, you know. Yeah, no. So for let's the first one was in March of 2008. So we're coming up on this is my I'll start my fourth year of workshops this year, which now that I say that it sounds crazy, but um, you know I believed in this medium and I believe what exactly what I've told you what I kind of wrote on the blog today is that I think film will help people become better photographers. Now am I trying to convert everybody to shoot film? No, that's not the point of the workshop. You know, I mean, obviously, like, so it's called Film Is Not Dead, but it is so much more than that. It's not, hey, come to this workshop, I'm just going to inundate you with film. And I think a lot of people sign up for that idea and that kind of premise and then walk away with a whole lot more because, you know, I go through my approach. I talk a lot about what, you know, I've talked to you about, like, finding your vision and the importance of that. I talk, I, you know, I open my books. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book for three days. But the other cool thing is that, when you sign up for the workshop, it doesn't just happen those three days. I've kind of created this community of people online on forums and a private Facebook that the second they sign up, they get access to that. So like, you know, if you sign up for a workshop in nine months, you have nine whole months to like pretty much ask me anything or anyone else on there questions that they want. So you could learn a ton full of stuff. By the time you get to the workshop, you already know a handful of stuff. Um, the main reason I'm doing the workshops is to help people. I think the reason this workshop has been so successful is it does just that. It's not about shooting film. It's about helping people find what it is that they want to say. You know, film is going to force you to slow down. You're going to start to think about what it is that you're doing and um, get helping people get on their way and helping them avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I made when I first started out, like looking at everybody else's stuff. And because somebody else is doing that, I'm going to do that too. And I never had a mentor. I never had an internship with anybody. It's all kind of blood, sweat, and tears and a handful of mistakes. And I think in doing my workshops, if I can help people find their voice and avoid these mistakes, I am now, we are now as a collective raising the bar in the fact that, you know, there's what, a thousand people a day at least picking up a DSLR and quote unquote calling them a photographer, which is fine, you know, it's great. It's good to have new blood, 
but a lot of them are just they're in it to just you know make money on the weekends i'm not here to make money on the weekends i'm here this is my job this is what i do this is what i'll do when i'm done like whether i get paid or not i'm gonna do it so if we can raise that bar and create a higher standard it's gonna help everybody which is yeah rising water floats all boats that kind of thing yeah um, right. so now you got this whole thing into like a book or whatever what's this all about a fine book so um that just got released today apparently i just found this out congrats it's supposed to get released until a couple more days but <laughs> shipping from amazon if you want to get your hands on it um so you know the the films i've had workshop is mainly for obviously wedding slash portrait photographers and this film is not dead book is now for the masses like, this is something that's going to go at urban outfitters when you buy your insanely overpriced holga from urban outfitters you can also get my book which is not insanely overpriced <laughs> but like i don't know like i mentioned it on the blog but like i think a lot of super basic knowledge is being lost due to digital yeah. like flat out tell me f stops from 1.4 to f22 and like so i teach at byu i'm gonna say this i hope i'll be where you kids are listening first day of class these kids are bfa like junior seniors about to graduate and they didn't know freaking f-stops now is that important in my opinion hell yeah because when you're on a job and you're you're moving quick clients breathing creative talents right behind you breathing down your neck you need to know okay the equivalent of f2 at 1000 is also f56 at what do you know what i mean you need to know how to do the the conversions like you need you have to know your crap yeah. and like it's a disservice to your clients if you don't in my opinion right so if i can get this knowledge out to the masses so this book is not wedding related whatsoever um i took out all the majority of the, i think there's like five wedding images in it total but it's basically to help people who have never shot film who grew up with digital slrs to go and dig in their parents bedroom or closet or whatever pull out that camera and start shooting right then and there there's a handful of tutorials in it so it's 288 pages to talk about obviously film stocks cameras uh options for developing scanning doing it yourself it covers it from beginning to end like you should be able to sh start shooting film if you've got that book awesome yeah i'm uh since i'm switching back i'm, I'm gonna probably buy it myself to <laughs> remind myself because i've been five <laughs> years of digital land and so i need to like jog my memory a little on some stuff so and that's the other thing is it's not like a a how-to book i yeah. mean obviously i'm going to explain things how, how i do it Right. But it's written in my voice. Like, it's not like, okay, insert, you know, it's a boring book. Not instruction manual. It's the same kind of language that I use. So I expect a lot of, like, unicorns and rainbows to be in there. If I had it my way, it was going to be a choose-your-own-adventure book. Oh, I love those. Yeah, I know, right? That would have been amazing. Okay, insert film. Now turn to page two. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, I don't know, I'm pretty proud of it, man. There was a lot of hard work that went into it. Um, and it, it's basically my portfolio for the last 13 years, like the best of the best is in there. And then, you know, obviously a lot of information. Now I have to also mention that, um, Kristen Kalp, 
of uh, Brandcamp. I don't know if anybody's heard of her, but she was the writer on this. Um, she helped a lot. I mean, I had I handed all over all the information. I, I'm a photographer. I'm not going to not going to lie to you and say I'm an author. I hand her the information, and she made me sound educated. So. <laughs> Sweet, man. Well, dude, I am so excited to have talked to you today, and I appreciate your time. I'm a big fan. You know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we need more straight, honest voices in the industry, and uh, none of this, like, rock star junk that goes on. So, I don't believe in egos, man. Um, I actually I, I, I have no tolerance for it, and I'll be the first person to tell you that I'm insanely overrated. I, you know, I mean, like, if for anyone that's listening to this, like, oh, John Canlis, soulmates, blah, 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 I mean, whatever. I got to where I'm at because I worked hard. I put the time in, and I, I honestly and will truly believe that if anyone will put the amount of time and work, sacrifice, and discipline that I put into this, you can be exactly where I'm at. No questions asked. It's not rocket science. I'm not doing anything super innovative. Everything in photography has already been done before. So for me to come up and say, oh, man, I'm doing something brand new, it's bull crap. I'm just taking stuff that's been done and either rehashing it, making it better, or worse. And just hopefully I'm doing the... The letter, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, something just popped up on Twitter. Matthew DeJesus asks him, what motivates him the most? You want to talk about that or should we just skip it? Last one. All right. Here we go. <laughs> what motivates me to do what I do is my family. I think that's why I do what I do. I work so hard because, you know, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I travel all these places, may look like fun. I'm going all over the world doing these workshops. I'm telling you right now, it's hard work, right? It's not all just fun and games. There's a whole, there's a whole ugly side of photography that people don't ever talk about. There's the marketing side. There's the time when you got to sit down and start blogging, right? Why, why, why am I going to blog? Because I got to market. I get myself out there, right? I've got to sit here and edit a wedding. I've got to, you know, email clients. There's all these other things that go into being a photographer than just showing up and taking some pretty pictures, you know? Um, but my motivation of what it is that I do comes from my family. And I think that shows in my images because I celebrate them through what it is that I do. So. Awesome. Anyway. Cool. Dude, thanks so much. Ain't a problem, man.